Good morning. Um, the Bible reading today comes from Proverbs 1, verse 1 to 33, which can be found on page 628 of our Bibles. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We'll get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We'll all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I'll make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruits of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For their waywardness... For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety, and be at ease without fear of harm. Well, good morning, everyone. One of my favourite proverbs is this. Who's more foolish, the fool or the fool that follows him? That was from the eminently wise Obi-Wan Kenobi speaking to Han Solo in Star Wars Episode 4, delivered by the great actor Sir Alec Guinness. We live in a Proverbs-saturated world from many great writers, thinkers, unknown sources and movie script writers in many cases. Like, keep your friends close but your enemies closer delivered by Al Pacino as Michael Corleone in The Godfather Part 2. In a few short words, Proverbs can really make us think. They can encourage us, rebuke us, we pass judgment with them, 
we teach our kids, we comfort ourselves and we challenge each other. Two wrongs don't make a right. Honesty is the best policy. Actions speak louder than words. The pen is mightier than the sword. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Fortune favours the brave. There's no such thing as a free lunch, but don't bite the hand that feeds you. You can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs, but don't put all your eggs in one basket and don't count your chickens before they hatch because the early bird catches the worm. But a watch pot never boils, but better late than never. People who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Many hands make light work, but too many cooks spoil the broth, and all good things come to an end. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. One man's trash is another man's treasure. The grass is always greener on the other side, but you can't judge a book by its cover. Out of sight, out of mind, yet absence makes the heart grow fonder. Good things come to those who wait. There's no time like the present, however. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> and if you want something done right, you do have to do it yourself. The question is not, will we live by proverbs, but rather, what kind of proverbs will we live by and cherish? Welcome to our new four-week Proverbs series. If we haven't met, my name is Matt and I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Inner South. This series is about treasuring and being shaped by the Proverbs God has collected for us in His Word. As we get underway, some very quick thank yous. Firstly, uh, to Katie Smith for giving me the encouragement and confidence to preach on a book that Bible-believing uh, preachers usually run a mile from. A big thank you to Lindsay Wilson for his excellent commentary on Proverbs, just published. I would have really struggled uh, without that one, and much of Lindsay's wisdom does work its way into the series. And also to Graham Goldsworthy for his great book, Gospel and Wisdom, which has some remarkable insights into God's Word. Well, we've put a lot of tools at your disposal for this series. There's Bible studies on your seats that include a Proverbs daily reading guide, and wherever you are at present, I'd really commend, I'd urge you to really throw yourself into the series. Each week and study builds on the next. So do try and be here each week. Get along to your community group if you're in one and if you're not, feel free to join one or find someone else to do the studies with or even just have a crack by yourself. Because we live in a complicated world and we really need God's wisdom to live well in it navigating the challenges of friendship, work, forgiveness, alcohol, debt, marriage, using our words wisely, but to name a few. Our goal in this series is simple, that you might come away absolutely loving the book of Proverbs and feel thoroughly equipped to use it well for the rest of your days, and by doing so, you might experience great blessing and benefit through all the seasons of life, including the trials and the joys. And that's exactly what Proverbs promises as we get underway in chapter 1. Do open up your uh, Bible to page 628 and the blue ones on your seats and read along with me from verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion 
to those who are young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables and sayings and riddles of the wise. All are invited by God to develop applied knowledge for living well, to have proverbs actively form our character, to help us understand the world, to teach us its patterns, its truisms, so that we might know how to live well in community together, living the good life in a community marked by justice and fairness. And then in verse 7, we come to one of the most important statements that we need to grasp if we are to read Proverbs well. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's important that we're going to, uh, what's so important, we're actually going to spend the next eight days unpacking it together. This sermon on chapters 1 to 3, there's the daily Bible reading guides this week to take you through chapters 4 to 7 and a study on those as well. And if you're not in a group or have a fortnightly group that doesn't meet this week, I do encourage you to do that one by yourself or with a friend. And then we'll get uh, return next week for uh, the very, uh, I reckon they're some of the best cracking chapters in Proverbs, uh, chapters 8 and 9, so that we understand this concept well. All that, I would suggest, is thoroughly worth the effort because we're told the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I'd go as far as to say that it's only when we get the concept of what it means to live under the fear of the Lord and all that chapters 1 to 9 have to teach us, then we're really ready to discover the great power of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, at its core, I think is an optimistic book. I called the series God's Wisdom is Known because it teaches us, as Goldworthy puts it, that Proverbs shows us that wisdom and life are within our grasp. God has made known His wisdom to us, He's given it to us as a gift. And the human task God lays out before us is to choose the course of our life and to stand with the wise under God and pursue goodness, rather than with the fool who despises God's wisdom and instruction causing great injury to themselves and to others. In his opening nine chapters, there are ten speeches from a father to a son, urging the son to embrace wisdom and reject folly. There are also four poems, God's wisdom personified as Lady Wisdom, calling to us. And together, these speeches and poems seek to persuade us with great passion and vigour to treasure God's wisdom, realise its value its power to actively change and form our character and therefore our actions and our words. And on the flip side, to see the horror of embracing folly, seeing its destructive power so that we might have the desire and the character to reject it, taking a stand alongside Lady Wisdom, listening to her. So if you don't have your Bibles open in front of you, uh, it's page 628 because we're going to cover some ground beyond the Bible reading that we've had today, so it'll be really important to have it open in front of you. Let's have a look at the first of the father-son speeches in verses 8 to 10. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. 
They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. There's a picture here of a youth living well in the light of his parents' teaching and growing in the kind of public recognition, the favour they see in the sight of others, acknowledging that even those who seek to do good, even those with parents who seek to instruct their kids with wisdom, can be enticed to do evil with the promise, as the example is given in here, of easy material gain, getting all sorts of valuable things through harming or defrauding the innocent. It's a mistake to simply say, well, I haven't been tempted lately to join a gang and roll someone on the street, so let's move on. I think chapters in 1 to 9 are making a much more broadly applicable points, using concrete and easy-to-understand examples. Verses 17 and 19 certainly seem to zoom out from the specific to teach a broader lesson, implying, verse 17, that such people who would be enticed this way are really uh, quite stupid, how useless to spread a net where every bird can see it, but also that such ill-gotten and easy gain that seems so attractive to us when offered doesn't deliver, verse 18. These men lie in wait for their own blood, they ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. So much of folly and evil promises a great deal to us when a decision is presented before us. Yet Proverbs reminds us solemnly that it only delivers on destruction. Whether it's big business before an inquiry, a profit built on a factory exploiting the poor, a business partner's fraud being uncovered, the taxman discovering cash in hand dealings, the prisoner lamenting choices that seem to promise so much gain, yet provided only slow ruin. Yet in contrast to these shadowy enticements in secret, we see Lady Wisdom enter the scene, calling in the public square, verse 20, crying out atop the city gate to the simple, to the mockers, to the fools. Verse 23, repent at my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you, I will make known to you my teachings. Such great promises offered to those who repent, but also great woe declared upon those who don't, since, verse 29, they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. And a sharp contrast is being drawn, starting between those who repent at wisdom's rebuke and those who don't. Have a look at verse 32, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them, the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Already at the close of chapter 1, This decision whether we'll reject God's wisdom and be seduced into folly, or whether we'll listen to God and be set up, uh, we'll listen to God, has, uh, I guess that contrast has been set up for us to see already that this is a life and death decision. 
Then we turn to our second father-son speech and just listen to the urgency here, the imploring, the effort to persuade us being used here. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I want to share with you this morning a concern I have for our current and future generations regarding our willingness to pay the cost described here to understand the fear of the Lord and find real God-given wisdom and knowledge. Let me compare the generations, I guess, starting with our most senior. It's been a great joy Watching Cam wherever he is, he might be out helping with kids this morning, he's not waving there anywhere, that's okay. It's been a great joy watching him settle into church. And I think over the last few months, the thing that has struck me the most is Cam bounding into the office uh, at Friday lunchtime. He's not starting late, uh, but after he's been filling in at our seniors' Bible study. I usually say, how was it? And Cam answers every time and says it was the highlight of my week. I ask why, and you'll say, it's just the discussion, the things that they talk about. It's so obvious that they've been shaped by the careful study of the Bible week in and week out for decades. And the way they pray and the things they pray about, it's got real depth to it, it's so encouraging, it's great. Now, all of our uh, seniors here this morning will blush at this because they're humble and I'm sure they'll try and sidestep the compliment after the service, I'm sure. But as a generation, particularly those willing to get outside their comfort zone and come church planning here and to TCU, they are people who have done the hard work of storing up God's commands, who have applied their heart to understanding who have cried out for insight, who have searched for wisdom as a great treasure. And as a result, they know what it is to fear the Lord and have found the knowledge of God, shaping their character and their choices. Move generations with me to perhaps those with adult kids now, often at the peak of their careers, maybe those just uh, tipping north of 50, perhaps. Statistically, in Australia... There is a massive hole in the church here. By and large, there's not many people sort of between 50 and retirement age in churches today. My take on that is that many who still consider themselves Christians but aren't a regular part of fellowship at church and through the week simply feel like they've heard it all before. What else is there to know And many have been a part of churches unwilling to teach at depth. So they don't come, they don't grow, they're no longer searching. Many, not all of course, that do come to church occasionally just want a quick hit and perhaps something of social value on the church scene. 
We do have, of course, some wonderful exceptions here. But I wonder if you're in that generation, how much do you think that's a right assessment? And how much of that do you see creeping into your own heart? Grouping together then for the sake of time, young adults and those in their 30s and 40s working hard to establish our place in the world, some busy with young kids, and it is busy, I get it. <laughs> We've all grown up in the information overload era and hear everyone's opinions on everything via social media. We don't focus on anything uh, for too long, and we're growing up with quite an attention deficit. We'd far prefer a six-minute video to tell us what we need to know from Proverbs, and a preacher who will just tell me what it means to fear the Lord in three entertaining and well-illustrated points. And grouping all our adults, except for our seniors, into one basket, we've by and large reduced guidance to a vague, ill-defined sense of God's will. Well, I prayed and God seems to be calling me to do, well, exactly what my heart had already decided to do in the first place. Instead of paying the cost of the slow, careful and prayerful study of God's Word and having our character transformed through storing up God's words within us, applying our heart to understanding, crying out to God for wisdom and insight, and searching diligently for understanding like a precious treasure. It is costly to learn what it means to fear the Lord and finding the knowledge of God, but Lady Wisdom promises to deliver if we are willing to pay the cost. Listen to the sale job on the benefit. God protects the way of His faithful ones, verse 8, chapter 2, written now. We'll understand what's right, just and fair in every good path, verse 9. Verse 10, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, wisdom will save you from all those who would lead us into folly and keep us on the path of righteousness. Lady Wisdom, our God, really delivers. And in short, the reward totally outweighs the cost. Jesus, as the wisdom of God in human flesh, makes exactly the same point, and perhaps, who knows, was building on this very passage of Proverbs in one of his parables, speaking of the immense value it is to be a part of the Kingdom of God, what it means to enter into the Kingdom of Heaven. When he said, Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. It's something that we don't often consider, Jesus being kind of the ultimate Proverbs man, the wise man, par excellence. We often refer to Jesus and as a lot of theology around Jesus being the ultimate prophet, speaking the very words of God. And indeed, of course, He is our great and perfect High Priest, offering the one true sacrifice of His body to death on a cross, to pay for the sins of all who place their trust in Him, which itself is God's greatest wisdom that so many in our world consider foolishness. Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. We're called to live under His loving rule today. 
But as I've suggested in the study guides and at the conclusion of this series, after finishing getting your head around Proverbs, why not try reading through a Gospel again? Luke's my favourite. You'll see Jesus' words just soaked in the wisdom of Proverbs, taking them further as the greatest of the wise. So what can we say about the fear of the Lord so far? Well, chapter 1 has shown us that it involves rejecting the way of the fool who despises God's wisdom and listen to wisdom's call and to repent. To work out what it means, chapter 2, we're encouraged in the most persuasive of ways, if we want to discover it, to really apply ourselves in our pursuit of wisdom, to seek for it like treasure, if we were to understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And there's one last point, super quick, I want to make from chapter 3. Start with me from verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. There's a humility required to trust God from every recess of your heart and submit all your ways to Him. Honouring the Lord with your wealth, verse 10, for example, with our first fruits, with a wonderful picture of God's abundant provision for those who do so, with food and cups overflowing with new wine as the image. But also the humility to submit to God's discipline in our lives when we need it, from verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent His rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those He loves as a father, the son He delights in. Humbly living under God's rule in every aspect of life is a key part of what it means to fear the Lord. And there's more coming in future chapters the daily reading guide, the study for the week and next week's sermon. But once we get it, knowing the fear of the Lord isn't just the beginning of wisdom, living under the fear of the Lord, rightly understood, is where we camp out, it's where we stay. When we stand there with Lady Wisdom as our guide, then we're ready to mine the great wisdom and power of chapters 10 to 29 of Proverbs as we read them through and through. As we come across Proverbs on friendship, for example, we'll know how dangerous it is to have foolish friends and that we need to have character strong enough to withstand the seductive call of folly. So those Proverbs on being a good friend and having good friends have added weight and depth to them. Same goes, and even more so, on the value of choosing wisely if you're going to be married in life. For those of us who are parents, we get the urging of the father's instruction and the mother's teaching as we raise kids teaching them about these things. When it comes to the Proverbs on wealth, for example, we'll get that our first priority is to honour God with all that He has given to us. So they become very precious to us, these Proverbs. They shape our character, they form us. 
we get the importance of having our character transformed so that we might be people of depth of character in a world that desperately needs us. Now, I get for a variety of reasons, you might find that really challenging. Maybe you're new to the Christian faith and you haven't heard this before, and it's, whoa. Maybe life has been hard for years or decades, and you're not in the position where you feel like you've been doing that. I want to encourage you not to beat yourself up about that and not to feel me beating you up about that. But the way forward from here is clear. It simply cannot be that our seniors generation is the last generation to grace this earth who search for wisdom like we're being urged to in the book of Proverbs. And there's immense benefit in teaching our youth and children to do likewise. Yes, it's costly. Yes, I've tried not to take my foot off the pedal today in the sermon and let us all off the hook. Because Proverbs simply would not have it and nor would Jesus. It's a non-negotiable part of following Him, but also the reward is immense. It's beyond compare. That's the message of Proverbs. Please take the studies and do them. Please make your way through the daily reading guide to get all that you can out of Proverbs over these next five weeks. If you're able to make this afternoon's training on wisdom, and I realise we all can't, we're not taking names, it's okay. I can't make it, I'm at youth this afternoon. (laughs) But come if you can. We'll look after your kids if you have them. We'll order more pizza if you let us know that you're coming. Yes, there are easier churches to be a part of. You can, if you want, find those who won't ask you to pay such a cost in following Jesus and working out what it means to fear the Lord and to find true wisdom. But in the end, who's the greater fool? The fool or the fool that follows him? Let me close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the book of Proverbs. We look forward with eager expectation to all that you will teach us through your word as we move through the series and for those able to make it uh, to the training this afternoon as we consider the broader issues of wisdom literature and the great treasures of Ecclesiastes and Job as well. Please, Lord, we ask that you would light a fire in our hearts by your spirit, that we would pursue wisdom counting the cost, not be sufficient for easy answers or to take things as true just because I said them or we saw a moving video on them, but to actually plumb the depths of your word and seek to be people of of deep character transformed by them and living in ways that bring glory and honour to you, great blessing to us. Please strengthen us for the task, Lord. Please do great things in each of our hearts, in each of our households and in our church. We plead for you, for insight, for wisdom, for understanding, that we might come to know what it truly means to fear the Lord and find knowledge that comes from you. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to do something uh, a little different uh, today, coming out of the sermon. 
uh, Kelly uh, very wisely thought it might be a great opportunity for Mike Bowker to share his testimony with us. I've known Mike uh, for many years. He's uh, sitting right here and will be up uh, in just a minute. Uh, but Mike, as you'll hear, uh, has had a fairly life-changing event a couple of years ago. I've known Mike a lot longer than that. And I know Mike is a person of uh, character, who, someone who knows uh, what it is and is pursuing what it means uh, to fear the Lord. Uh, he's uh, someone who, as you'll hear in a moment, uh, God has really been very, very kind to amidst a very trying and powerful circumstance, which you're just about to hear, to preserve all of those things in Mike. I don't want to steal his thunder. I will uh, let him come up and speak, and then I've asked Kelly to come up and pray for Mike and for us afterwards. Uh, Mike, come up and join us, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I became a Christian when I was 13, and I brought my family across to <clears throat> Australia in about 2007. After spending some time at Bible College, I went back to full-time work in 2016. And on the 13th of April 2016, I went to work just like on any other day. Um, and I had a meeting that morning. That morning changed my life and after that meeting I had a massive stroke. I had a bleed uh, in the right parietal and temporal lobe. I was rushed to the RAH uh, by ambulance and operated on right away. It's now two years on, and I thought, and by Matt's great grace, has allowed me this opportunity, first of all, before I give my testimony, to think about how God has worked in so many different ways uh, in my life. But for the moment, let's go back now um, to this meeting on the, um, on the 13th. I was sitting in this meeting and I began to experience the worst headache of my life. The meeting ended early and I stayed behind in the, in the boardroom to put my head on the table only to discover that I was experiencing the worst headache of my life. I found myself lying on the floor um, and it was unpleasant. But before I passed out uh, into my unconsciousness, I had some very clear memories um, which under God's great grace, have been essential in building my life after my stroke. I remember not feeling alone, uh, that God was there with me, that I have clear memories of my wife and my children and friends, which has really shaped my life post-stroke. You see, when I woke up, I didn't remember who any of them were. And those memories of the ones just before I passed out into unconsciousness have been the ones that have shaped my life afterwards. You see, the thing is, I had no memory of them. 
which is incredibly difficult because I saw these people standing around my bed and I saw them in pain and I saw them grieving and yet I didn't know who they were and I had to work that out as I went along the way. Being in the hospital, I was in there for over, a, I was in there 100 days. But those last few minutes of my consciousness and knowing that I was not alone really helped me a great deal. There was also an occasion when I was sitting in the dining room table and listening to some of the others who had, were complaining about their post-stroke. And I was sitting there thinking, as awful as a stroke is, and as terrible as it is to be in this situation, I am owned by God. That I have hope that the others didn't have. There came a point when I was discharged from hospital and I went home to a wife and children that I didn't remember. I walked into a strange house where there were books and a life that wasn't my own in the same way anymore. I went home to a family where my wife grieved the loss of a husband with 15 years or so worth of memories. And one of the things I was incredibly grateful was that I worked three and a half minutes away from RAH. And so, in some of the most amazing ways, God reduced, because I was so close, did have such access to good medical care. And the answer of a great many prayers of people who have prayed for me for a very long time. Now, when I have bumped into Christians and talking to Christians after my stroke, a lot of the time they will say, oh, there must be a reason for this. Now, no way do I claim to know the mind of God. Uh, but on a very personal level, uh, before my stroke, I always had a great passion for people to come to know the Lord. Now, it turns out that there was a man in my, in my previous church who I'd prayed for for a number of years. He came periodically. It wasn't a Christian. Um, and he was part of the church who prayed for me in those early months where he first of all prayed that I would survive and that there were times when he prayed for my healing. And it was over that time that he began to ask questions about Christianity. And he met with our pastor and ultimately, by God's grace, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. In December of this last year, I was fortunate enough to go and see him baptized. And he became a follower of the Lord Jesus as a result. The thing about 
what sometimes happens when someone experiences the sort of experiences that I've had. Again, they ask me, am I angry at God? And the question that I ask is with a question. When I say, how can I be angry with a God who saved me? You see, a few weeks prior to me having my stroke, I put in the final procedures for emergencies so that on the day of my stroke, people knew exactly what to do. Also, a work colleague of mine started to have a look for me. He felt compelled to do that. And when he wanted to give up looking for me, he felt a further, he was completely compelled to find me. And that is where he found me having my stroke in the boardroom. I believe that God put me in this workplace and yes, I had a stroke, but it is by his sovereignty that he saved me. And also when asked, am I being punished? I say simply, that Jesus was punished on the cross for my sins. And that one day, when my time does come to an end, I will spend an eternity with Jesus. And that Din will be there with me too. And until that day comes, when my time on life is at an end, I will enjoy the blessings that God has given me. Thank you. I think I speak on behalf of all of you to say what an incredible encouragement your story's been to us, Michael. Thank you for the courage to share it. Um, I'd like to pray for you and your family. Sovereign Heavenly Father, you are loving and kind and good and merciful, worthy of our praise and adoration. In all things, you work for the good of those who love you, who you have called according to your purpose. Lord Jesus, you are our living hope, hope for a future where there is no more death or sorrow, crying or pain, where you will wipe away every tear. We grow weary in our present bodies that are so fragile and we long, Lord, to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. We thank you that you've prepared these for us and left the Holy Spirit to reassure us of it. We give you thanks and praise for your son, Michael, and daughter, Jeanne. Thank you for calling them to you and having a plan and a purpose for their lives. Thank you for being with Michael on the morning of his stroke two years ago and for remaining steadfastly with them both through those traumatic circumstances in April 2016 and every day since. There must have been many dark moments in those two years when your presence was an enormous comfort to Michael and Jeanne and their family. Thank you, Lord, for making yourself clearly known to Michael when other memories were lost. Thank you, Lord, for the work of healing that you have done and continue to do in Michael's body. 
We pray with confidence that you continue to go before them, working out the details of Michael's rehabilitation. Thank you for making your wisdom known to Michael and Jean as they make decisions and faithfully pursue their marriage, their family life and their relationship with you. They're a wonderful example to us of what it looks like to live in fear of their Lord and choose wisdom. Thank you for Michael's willingness to share of your goodness and mercy with us today. Thank you for his friend Din and for calling him to yourself. May many others be drawn to you through Michael's testimony. We ask that you bless Michael and Jean along with their children, Ruth and Daniel. And may you be glorified. In light of Michael's story and what we have learned this morning, Lord, I pray that we would be people who see the precious value of your commands, that we would long to apply our hearts to understanding, that we would eagerly search it out like treasure. By your grace, Lord, we ask you to transform who we are as we understand more and more what it means to know you and fear you. And we give you thanks in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.